Should we allow homosexuals to live in our ashrams? By our ashrams, I mean the ashrams of the worldwide Krishna consciousness movement. I was asked this question by two disciples of mine in different parts of the West uh, who are leading ashrams, brahmacharya ashrams, male ashrams for monks. In the West, this is a big question. Uh, as the Western world is determinedly promoting uh, a utopian ideal of egalitarianism and wiping out or imagining themselves to be wiping out all the inequities of the past and making a wonderful world, imagine all the people living for today, and so on and so on. Traditional values are under the steamroller of enlightened thought, or what some people consider to be enlightened. Anyway, uh, I don't have much personal experience of living in the West for more than 40 years now, so I asked some of my godbrothers who do have experience in the West what they thought about this, and then I replied that better not better not to allow homosexuals in our ashrams. Well, why not? Obviously, well, not obviously, but many might say, well, why not? They'll think it's outrageous to even raise the question. Of course, everyone should have the opportunity. Why discriminate? Homosexuals are also human beings. Yeah, true, but Human life. Let, let's try to understand this from a, a deep perspective of what, what actually is going on in this Krishna consciousness movement. The basic principle of this Krishna consciousness movement is to understand that human life has a specific purpose. Contrary to the myth of life having arisen by chance from random chemical interactions, there is God. He has made the universe in a certain way. Human life is meant for a specific purpose. There are many different forms of life. We go from body to body to body in the chain of repeated birth and death the cycle of repeated birth and death, reincarnation. Human life has a specific purpose. God, Krishna, has given us sufficient intelligence, sufficiently expanded consciousness in this human form of life so that we can realize that this cycle of birth and death is miserable and live in a manner specifically uh, conduct our lives in a manner that is conducive to self-realization. 
which means purification of consciousness. So human life has, has a specific purpose and it has to be lived in a specific way to fulfill that purpose, which means there are many do's and don'ts. Purification of consciousness means becoming free from material desires, foremost among which is the sexual desire. We have so many material desires, but particularly sexual desire chains us in the cycle of birth and death. So to get free from this, or even to live as a civilized human being, we have to follow certain rules. And if we're going to take to the path of spiritual upliftment, then we have to voluntarily accept more rules, just like in our Krishna consciousness movement. For anyone who wants to be initiated, that means to, to take to the path of Krishna consciousness seriously, they have to follow four prohibitions. No eating of flesh foods, meat, fish, eggs, no garlic and no onions also. <laughs> uh, no intoxication. No uh, illicit sex and no gambling. Illicit sex means sexual activity outside of marriage. And even within marriage, that which is for recreation more than procreation. So it's very strict. And ashrams, uh, we're talking about ashrams, monasteries for monks and brahmacharis and sannyasis. So they're completely prohibited from any sexual activity, which is why they come together to live together to help each other and reinforce each other in this difficult path of trying to become free from sensuality. Ashrams are meant for sexual segregation to help to curb the sexual appetite. Now, even at the suggestion that there should be any kind of restrictions on homosexuals uh, from doing anything else that anyone else is, is allowed to do, that will seem to some to be outrageous, retrogressive. They won't even listen to any such arguments, let alone even have the capacity to understand them. For persons who believe that well, we're just here now, we just live once and enjoy yourself as best you can. Human life is meant for sensuality. Then it will, any restriction on homosexuality, if people say, well, if you want to enjoy yourself like that, well, why not? It will seem outrageous and retrogressive. But Anyone who has even an ABC understanding of spiritual life will understand that if you're going to, 
if you're going to be serious about spiritual life, you're going to have to accept many restrictions. It's not just a matter of feeling spiritual. One actually has to act in a disciplined manner. Uh, and particularly, uh, sensuality cannot be indulged in, either heterosexually or homosexually. It's ABC. Now, sometimes it's said that Srila Prabhupada, the founder of this Krishna conscious movement in the Western world, he allowed homosexuals in his movement. There is a story told, although it is a story, which was first started to be circulated long after Srila Prabhupada left this world. There is a story that one of Srila Prabhupada's disciples revealed to Srila Prabhupada that he, he had homosexual tendencies. And Srila Prabhupada said to him, well, why don't you just find a nice young boy and live with him in Krishna consciousness, something like that. It's a, it's a story. We don't know. Anyone can say anything. It, it's certainly not in line with Srila Prabhupada's general attitude toward homosexuality, which was not favorable. It certainly wouldn't be in line with what is considered right and proper in much of the Western world today. It's said that Srila Prabhupada knew that some even of his leaders were homosexuals. But there's no real evidence that Srila Prabhupada knew that they were homosexuals. Maybe he did, and maybe in his liberality he allowed them to remain in Krishna consciousness within his movement and even to be leaders. We, we don't know. that We don't have any record of Srila Prabhupada knowing of his leaders being uh, homosexuals. Uh, but as, as a general principle, we we have to be careful, maybe even more careful than Srila Prabhupada was in some instances. Just like Srila Prabhupada, he gave sannyas to many young men. We don't do that in our Krishna conscious movement nowadays. We're more careful because there have been many fall downs from sannyas. Srila Prabhupada would sometimes give sannyas on the spot to young men who simply asked for it. And we don't do that. There are many checks before sannyas is given. Even in the early days of the moon, Srila Prabhupada would sometimes give initiation with very little background checking. Uh, but seeing that so many went away, Srila Prabhupada gradually became more strict. Arranging marriages. Uh, Srila Prabhupada arranged marriages, and later he changed that. He thought that devotees would, st they would commit to their marriage vows just on the strength of their commitment to Krishna consciousness, but not many did. 
So Srila Prabhupada, he just disassociated himself from the whole business of arranging marriages. We want to give the best chance to everyone to fulfill the purpose of human life. We want to give the best chance to everyone to become Krishna conscious. But at the same time, residence in an ashram, it's a privilege, it's not a right. And we have to screen people before allowing them in the ashram. We don't want, as Srila Prabhupada said, lazies or crazies. We want to see people joining who are prepared to commit themselves fully to the discipline. Uh, we don't want mentally deranged people in our ashrams. Uh, there's no meaning to having an ashram unless there's discipline and strictness and focus. We need to protect the devotees who are in the ashram, who are committed, by not putting in their midst those who... Well, it may be that someone has homosexual tendencies, but they're also uh, very desirous to practice Krishna consciousness. But it's, it's going to be difficult for them. Why do we have all men living in an ashram? Or in the West, Srila Prabhupada also had brahmacharini ashrams for, for females. Why is that? Why... Why are the monks in monasteries and the nuns in nunneries in the Catholic and maybe other traditions? Why is that separation there? Because the idea is that men will not be, the men who have made that tremendous commitment to be monks, they will not be subject to the temptation of interaction with that which sexually arouses them, which is the female form and the female personality. You may say, well, they're all just human beings, but yeah, they're men and there are women, and uh, monks stay away from women. Nuns stay away from men. That's how it should be, because the example is given of the fire and butter, if you put fire next, butter next to fire, it's going to melt. So it's just basic human psychology that, especially for those who are on the path of spiritual advancement, not to put themselves in the way of, unnecessarily put themselves in the way of temptation. Now, of course, it's not possible to be completely, well, it is, you can completely cloister yourself off as, as in some monastic traditions, completely cloistered, that means that the monks, they, they don't even see each other much, what to see of, what to speak of uh, any f females. So that is possible, but not very practical, and especially for an outgoing movement that wants to preach, we're going to definitely going to be interactions with uh, between the genders. Uh, but in the, in the monastery, with with in the brahmachari ashram, with shared bathing facilities and sleep in the same room, it's going to cause 
agitate. That's why men and women are, are separate. You don't have, okay, men and women, all right, give them this equal opportunities to advance in Krishna consciousness, but you don't put unmarried men and unmarried women to sleep in the same rooms because of the sexual attraction. So you don't put men who are sexually attracted to men to sleep and to shower in the same facility as other men because it will arouse them and it'll be it'll agitate them they'll, they'll have difficulty controlling their themselves uh, and that will cause an unnecessary disturbance for those who are not homosexually inclined we want to protect our non homosexual devotees from the possibility of being approached for sexual interaction by homosexuals. Uh, there may be those who are trying to be devotees, but they're homosexuals, but it's hard to control that lower nature. There may be those who are more of a homosexual than a devotee and come and think, well, this is great. I'll be living with just men. That's just what I want. It may be. The Catholic Church in recent times has gone through a disastrous period uh, due to the abnormal tendencies of many of its clergy. Uh, did they put themselves in that situation so that they could exploit others sexually? I, I, it's hard to say, but we want to avoid such situations by all means. Better safe than sorry. Uh, we, don't, we don't want homosexual affairs in our ashrams, and we don't hear about it much, or we don't have it much, probably because there, one thing is there aren't thousands of homosexuals breaking down the doors to join our ashrams. Anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a big discussion actually over a, something which is rather moot because there are not, how many homosexuals are, are there wanting to join our ashrams anyway? But then why am I discussing all this? Because, uh, like I said, I gave this advice not to allow them and then this got out and then there's a big hoo-ha, and others are criticizing, why shouldn't you allow homosexuals to live in the ashram, blah, 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 blah. So, but it's better to be safe than sorry. Better to be restrictive on a few, even though they may find it harsh, uh, they may find it it's unfair to them, better to be restrictive on a few than to put the many and the whole institution a terrible risk. We certainly don't want gay pride in our ashrams. Sexuality this way, that way, or any other way, it's nothing to be proud about. Those who endeavor for spiritual advancement, that's a major part of our endeavor for spiritual advancement. We can, we can emphasize the positive part, parangdrishva nivartate. We can emphasize that, but the, the reality is we have to deal with our lower nature, our bestial nature. We're supposed to rise to a higher level, but the, the, the lower pullings 
are pulling us down. So sex, sexual inclination in any shape or form is nothing to be proud about. Uh, at the present time, the, the homosexuals have created this aura about themselves that they're like some kind of special godly being who deserve some kind of special facility uh, uh, and it's something to be proud about. I'm gay. Uh, this, this arrogant promotion of homosexuality as if it's, as if it's something wonderful or desirable, but it's not. It's a, it's a contamination to be overcome on the path of spiritual advancement. Any kind of sexuality is a contamination on the path of... If, if we actually understand what spiritual advancement means, then any proclivity toward enjoying any of the senses in a mundane way is contaminated. It's something to be risen above, to come to the platform of pure spiritual love beyond mundane sex attraction. Now, heterosexuality is also a form of mundane contamination, but there is a means to regulate that within the Vedic culture on the path of Krishna consciousness. There's a means to regulate it and purify it within marriage. But for homosexuality, there is no such regulation. It's generally been considered throughout the ages as an aberration, as something abnormal. But nowadays, if you say that, you're dismissed out of hand as being some kind of barbarian from an ancient time when people were just nasty. But from the spiritual perspective, the sexual appetite is a contamination that covers the pure consciousness of the soul. And let's be frank about it. Uh, we may not want to speak about it so openly due to the tremendous propaganda and pressure promoting homosexuality. But traditionally, always, in secular society, what to speak of spiritual circles, homosexuality has been considered and an especially contaminated and debasing. Well, you could say, well, God made me like that or nature made me like that. That's just the way I am. And I should take pride in being what I am. I don't have to change myself to make myself seem what other people think I should be. I'll take pride in myself. This is the way I am. I, I just accept myself the way I am and I have these inclinations. And you should accept me like that also. Well, a psychopath could say that also. A rapist could say that. A kleptomaniac could say that. You just accept me as I am. I, I have this tendency for rape and, and theft, and you should just accept me as I am. That's the way God made me. That's the way nature made me. The fact is that we get different bodies with different mentalities 
according to our previous desires and activities in the very complex cycle of birth and death, we have various sinful desires which we have the opportunity to indulge in or to try to purify. Human life is meant for purification of these desires, not for exaltation in them. I'm gay, gay pride. Because indulgence in sinful activities, there is such a thing as sin, by the way, results in further bondage and further degradation in material existence. So, yeah, it's uh, if one is of homosexual inclination, it does make it more difficult. It's like, like a handicap on the path of spiritual realization, just like if someone has uh, severe mental imbalances, bipolar disorder or whatever. It's, it, it makes pursuing the path of spiritual life more difficult. One who takes seriously to the chanting of the holy names and the um, taking seriously to the path, the prescribed path of Krishna consciousness, they can make progress. Uh, the facilities that are offered for ashram life, they may not be able to avail of that, which makes it more difficult. It's not impossible, but it does make it more difficult. That's a fact. So, for anyone who might be interested, that is my understanding of why we should be very cautious in allowing anyone with uh, pronounced abnormalities to live in our ashrams. On the one hand, we want to encourage people to come forward and come up in Krishna consciousness. On the other hand, specifically for ashram life, we have to be selective in who we are allowed to join. But like, like I say, this is my understanding, our International Society for Krishna Consciousness. It's a it's a multivalent organization. There are different outlooks. So if you don't agree with this outlook, uh, then you or you can direct, if you happen to know any homosexuals who want to join our ashrams, and I guess the, the question must have arisen because uh, someone somewhere wanted to join. So if you happen to know someone, uh, then you direct them to an ashram where they'll be allowed, where they'll be welcomed. Uh, don't just jump on my head and bite it off. You, uh, if, if you're really into broad liberality, then you make the facility for them to come and join. I happen to be on one side of a spectrum in issues like this. And so do those who identify themselves as my followers. And uh, like I say, you don't, <laughs> you don't have to be, you don't have to be a follower of my poor self to 
be in this movement. Actually, from what I think, it, it, we would do a lot better as a movement if we clearly defined what are, are, what are our parameters uh, and what, are, what is our position on various gender issues. But anyway, that's a bigger discussion. Hare Krishna. Vancha kalpa tarubhyascha kripa sindhubhya evaja patita anam pavavebhyo vaishnavebhyo namo Dante nithaya chunakang padayane patya kritvaja ka kushatame tata pravime He sadava sakala eva vihaya durad goranga chandra charne kurutanurana Parivadatu jano yatatata Hari rasa madira madati matam bhuvi vilotama nartama nirvishama. Hari Krishna! Hari Krishna!